Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Pella Window and Door of Georgia, viewed to be the best. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. And I welcome you all in to our episode here today. We are live Atlanta Marriott Northwest for Dog Nation Daily, presented by Pella Window and Door of Georgia. A lot to do, including John Stinchcomb here coming up in just a moment. But first, though, I do want to start with Georgia recruiting. And I want to start with the good news, if you don't mind, because when we have a chance to be positive, obviously that's what we want to do. And there is certainly plenty to be positive about when it comes to these Georgia Bulldogs picking up four-star running back Nate Frazier out of California uh, yesterday. We had a good time being on video live with the on this yesterday and I think the statement that Georgia makes here by bringing in Frazier this 2024 class ought to be viewed as a very very big win I'll go back to Friday's show here for a moment and I gave you my candid thoughts I invited you to tell me if you disagreed for the most part people seem to be kind of on the same page with me about this when Kirby Smart talked about his current running back situation uh in his introductory press conference to kick off Georgia fall camp last week, I thought when it come, came to the running back spot, I sort, of, I sort of thought he may have kind of damned that spot with faint praise. You've heard that phrase before. I thought he was somewhat lukewarm in his, his remarks, but the overall running back position, even going so far as to say that Cash Jones, a walk-on, was perhaps pound for pound the strongest player in that group and perhaps the fastest player in that group and perhaps the most equipped to catch the ball coming out of the backfield. Now, on the one hand, that's good news for a guy like Cash Jones. We've seen Georgia utilize the kind of unheralded recruit and sometimes even walk-ons like Jones to great success. Maybe Cash is just the next example of that. But it's also possibly one of those things that when you don't hear Kirby Smart throwing around warm compliments throwing around uh, a lot of pleasantries, then sometimes there may be a reason that he's withholding that. And it could be that right now Kirby needs to see a lot more from his Georgia running backs on this team here right now. We certainly didn't see much when it goes back to spring practice. G-Day, Georgia was dealing with injuries. I don't blame any of the individual players who are dealing with those injuries or maybe even still be dealing with some of that now. I, I don't have enough medical expertise to do that. I wouldn't be inclined to do so anyway. But it does speak to an open open opportunity for somebody to step up. And who knows? Maybe Cash Jones is that guy here this year. But going beyond that, it also, I think, speaks to a vision for how the Georgia running back room can look in the future. Getting more athletic, ensuring that Georgia has the kinds of players like Kenny McIntosh, who was not only Georgia's leading rusher a year ago, but also one of its leading receivers. Or James Cook before that, who had some thrilling touchdowns and I think is in a position to really thrive in the NFL here this year. And of course, Sony Michelle, uh, prior to that, Georgia at its best always seems to have the really athletic running back catching the ball out of the backfield, but also using that athleticism to make folks miss and when you look at Georgia who right now has three running backs ranked in the top 10 consensus nationally as a part of this 2024 class not only does Georgia really emphatically fill what might be a position of need based on some expected departures after this season but does so with some tremendous athleticism. Dwight Phillips, one of the guys who's been in the class for a while, if you pay attention to high school football, you know in a scrimmage on Friday, uh, Phillips had, what, a 95-yard kick kick return for a touchdown to begin uh, his team scrimmage there on Friday night. That gives you an idea of the blazing speed, track star speed that he has, and George is going to utilize that. And then Nate Frazier, who comes in, and on three, one of the rating services that takes care of some of this kind of stuff, they've got Frazier rated as a five-star and the number one overall 
back in the country for the class of 2024. Consensus kind of viewed as a four-star, clearly one of the best and one of the biggest running back prospects that Georgia's gained a commitment from in quite some time. It's this trio, along with Chauncey Bowens, who Georgia flipped from Florida, that gives Georgia as much firepower from the running back spot in a recruiting class as we've seen the dogs have in quite some time. But it's the specific athleticism that I think Georgia fans ought to notice here. In fact, yesterday afternoon on video, I was talking to our Dog Nation colleagues, Connor Riley and our recruiting insider Jeff Sintel about this. And it's that athleticism from Frazier that Jeff specifically pointed out. Let me give you a little taste here of what Jeff Sintel said yesterday about Nate Frazier, now a part of this Georgia 2024 recruiting class. Really what it means is matchup problems. How do you deal with a three-down back like, like Frazier when you've got something exotic, maybe the wheel routes a la James Cook with Dwight, Frit, Dwight Phillips in the same backfield. You've got the tight ends that Georgia will have. Um, I'm going to stress this again. This was a class that Georgia had to get offensive. They had to tilt the scales after another gully washer of a class last year defensively. This year's class, led by the nation's number one quarterback, had to get more robust, had to get stronger on the offensive side. And this is a player that does that. So I think that's a really important point that Jeff Sintel is bringing up there. Not only does uh, Frazier kind of provide the athleticism that Georgia needs, the kind of running back that you can throw the ball to out of the backfield, the kind of running back that can give Georgia some of the explosive runs it's perhaps been missing over the course of the last couple of years. Not only does Frazier provide that, but it's also a continuation of what Georgia, as Jeff points out, may have been an emphasis for this 2024 class, which is to really populate the offensive side of the ball. We had that stretch over nine days earlier in the summer when Georgia gained commitments from four, four star offensive linemen. Very few teams in the country each year even sign uh, that many offensive linemen of that regard. Georgia brought them all in over the course of a nine-day period. Obviously, Dylan Riola, arguably the nation's top recruit, certainly the top quarterback, uh, he has been in the mix here now for a while. And now these three running backs to go along with wide receivers, the likes of a Nitro Tuggle who's risen up uh, recruiting rankings, a guy like Nikar who's been exciting for quite some time. Uh, I would say Sokovi White is a name that Georgia fans probably need to acquaint themselves with. Georgia has gotten not just, uh, I guess, deeper along its offense by bringing in names like this, but also more athletic based on the specific credentials that each of these players have. So the point that Jeff is bringing up there is a good one, and it's one of those things that Georgia fans really ought to celebrate. And based on the reaction we saw online yesterday, Georgia fans are indeed doing that. But maybe some Georgia fans needed a reminder to be happy and to celebrate on that, because for some, there was a hangover in place uh, after five-star defensive back, you know, the services call him an athlete. We know he's a safety at Georgia, so five-star safety, five-star defensive back, K.J. Bolden, uh, after uh, Bolden made the decision to uh, choose Florida State there on Saturday. Some Georgia fans were upset about that, disappointed about that, and kind of left to wonder, how did this happen and what did this all mean? I'll tell you this, and we're going to hear from Bolden in a second to kind of set up the next phase of all of this, but I, I told you at the time, uh, leading up into the K.J. Bolden situation that we know, you know, Georgia's going to have the number one class this year. Georgia's likely, I believe, going to be number one on the field in 2023, go for three in 23. You've heard me say that before. They may even do that again in 2024 there as well. Right now, there isn't any one player that Georgia needs or any one player that Georgia can't afford to lose. Bolden's a good talent, of course, but he certainly doesn't rise to that level because right now no one does. But the interest, the curiosity for Georgia fans about Bolden was all about the current state of recruiting. And 
does follow the visits, is that still a, a proverb worth paying attention to? Is the deep relationship that Kirby Smart had with K.J. Bolden, is that the kind of thing that still kind of matters more than anything else? Or are we living in the kind of age now where a program can swoop in late, uh, make a large NIL offer, and completely erase all of that? You've probably seen on message boards or social media or something like that that the figure that Florida State has rumored to have you know offered to Bolden, it's enormous. And I'm led to believe after having talked to some serious people here over the course of the last couple of days that some of the numbers that you have heard on social media are very likely true, that it was a big NIL offer to Bolden that uh, ultimately swayed him to Florida State as opposed to Georgia. Now, we're also not naive here. If Georgia's a factor in this recruitment, at some point, Georgia must have been playing that game to a certain extent, too. But perhaps the number got to be so big on the part of Florida State that at a certain point, Georgia just didn't feel comfortable quite swimming in those waters. You can understand why that might be the case. Well, that leaves a lot of Georgia fans wondering, well, what next here? Or it perhaps leaves some Georgia fans saying, well, good riddance. If he doesn't want to be at Georgia, I don't want him to be a part of this class. I'm going to caution you on that. I want you to be very, very careful about that viewpoint here right now. First of all, I think it's really important if you want to play the recruiting game at the highest level, you can't get your feelings hurt very easily. Certainly Georgia coaches don't get their feelings hurt very easily. You have pretty thick skin. Sometimes when you do battle on the football field, you come up short. Sometimes in recruiting, when you do battle, programs make their best pitch down here in our part of the country, the South, it's always seemed like all was fair and love in recruiting. So sometimes a little negative recruiting. Sometimes it may be a financial incentive. Sometimes it's whatever it is and you let the chips fall where you may. But don't be quite so quick to assume this is necessarily over when it comes to Georgia and K.J. Bolden. I want you to hear from Bolden here for a moment. I want you to listen closely what he says. Now, all of the, I guess, main words here would lead you to believe he is as locked in on the knoll as anybody possibly could be. But you do hear some caveats. You do hear some uh, qualifiers. You do hear possibly a little sliver of a door left ajar. This is K.J. Bolden with Jeff Sintel on Saturday after Bolden had chosen Florida State. You watch, you listen, and judge for yourself. K.J., you've taken 16 visits to Georgia. You've talked about the relationship with Kirby. I mean, it was cool. and uh, I mean, you know, I love Coach uh, Smart to death. You know, he's still my guy regardless of what school I go to. Right now, I'm just trying to talk about the nose right now. How final is this? That's one question we'll get from audiences. Are you locked down? Are you 1,000%? How final is this? I was percent committed, you know, and unless you can really say once you commit, you know, you're a thousand percent committed. Uh, unless, you know, God, you give me another feeling, but right now I'm definitely locked down my nose. So I don't want to parse, I don't want to parse words here too much, but I do want you to notice. He says, I'm a thousand percent committed. What else you could say? And then he goes on to use the word unless. I'm a thousand percent committed unless God gives me another direction. You know, he says uh, something to that same effect there at the very end of that clip, too, about, hey, you know, you know, for now, this is what's going on. We'll see what, you know, kind of happens from here. Obviously, there's not a lot to pull from that to say, well, that means he's definitely going to, to flip away from Florida State to Georgia or anybody else. But it's certainly the kind of, as I said, caveat qualifiers that would suggest that maybe what's more important is this. We're led to believe that, that Bolden visited Georgia 16 times. Bolden himself has said that. We're led to believe that Kirby Smart was in many ways the key recruiter for Georgia in the direction of K.J. Bolden. Let me ask yourself a question. Going back, to what I, uh, going back to what I said a couple of moments ago, if Georgia valued Bolden that much, they hosted him that many times on visits, that Kirby Smart took this kind of lead in all of this, 
If Georgia valued Bolden that much, do you think they're going to change their mind immediately? Do you think they're going to completely give up on this immediately just because of some words spoken on streaming videos Saturday that don't have the effect of being a contract? They are not binding. It is not a binding resolution. That's not what a commitment announcement is. Do you think Georgia is going to stop recruiting Bolden just because Bolden has uh, accepted this commitment or, or made his commitment to Florida State here right now? My, my suggestion is no, Georgia's not stopping this just because of something that Bolden said on our video platform there on Saturday. My guess is Georgia's still involved and Georgia's still a factor. Now, the obvious question to ask is, well, what about the NIL stuff? You just said a moment ago you had heard that the, the crazy figures, seven-figure type stuff that we've seen on social media message boards is likely true. Uh, does that mean that Georgia's going to match that figure? Listen, we don't really know exactly what Georgia does when it comes to some of this kind of stuff. They, like every other program, keep this mostly under wraps. They keep their cards pretty close to the vest here on all that. But let's also think logically here for a moment. We've already seen in the NIL age, some programs make very big promises about NIL figures, reportedly, only to later find out, actually, that money is very difficult to raise. Florida State seemed to be willing to say whatever number it needed to in order to get that commitment on Saturday. But now the work begins. Listen, I've actually talked to some folks in Tallahassee. They would, they would acknowledge this. Uh, now the work begins to actually go out and raise the money or at least raise enough of that money down payment wise or something like that, if you want to think of it in those terms, that allow Florida State to actually get to the finish line with a commitment they got on Saturday. The point is, from a Georgia perspective, you should understand that I don't believe this is over. From the Florida State perspective, I think they don't think this is over either. So obviously on Saturday, when a guy like this, who you sort of feel like in the past Georgia would have won with, when a guy like that doesn't choose UGA, it's easy to get frustrated. It's easy, it's easy to get angry. And it's easy to kind of lean in on the things that made the Georgia program strong to say, well, listen, if he doesn't want to come to Georgia, we'll be fine without him. I'll never think another word about him. Georgia's going to be fine no matter what, but I wouldn't go quite so far as to say, I'll never think another word about K.J. Bolden. My guess is, in fact, my prediction is, this isn't the last time we'll be talking about K.J. Bolden as a part of this 2024 recruiting class. And this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. We're presented today by Pella Window and Door of Georgia. My name is Brandon Adams. We're live, of course, across all platforms, as we always are. Radio, podcast, everything else as well uh, for you uh, there, too. And we're glad to have you with us. And a big thanks to our friends at Pella window and door of Georgia who make it all possible here today. Of course, energy efficient windows and doors. I got a bunch of windows over here right now. They are shining this sunlight. I feel like I'm in a greenhouse right now. If you're watching on video, if you look close enough, you'll probably see sweat just sort of glistening down my face, which is certainly a gross consideration. But uh, nonetheless, <laughs> that's the case. When it comes to your house, though, the energy efficient windows and doors you get from Pella window and door, that's not going to happen. The way you want your house to feel on the inside, those Pella windows, those Pella doors, they make sure that stays the case. So if you get the air conditioning cranked up this time of year of course you do they make sure they help you make sure anyway that house stays nice and cool and comfortable on the inside and of course looking good on the outside that's what Pella windows and doors are all about there as well it's the reason why year after year survey after survey homeowners in our area have recognized Pella window and doors the true brand leader we say it's viewed to be the best that's not just a slogan that really is an indication of their position in the marketplace the unrivaled leader when it comes to windows and doors and that's why I think you ought to learn more about them. The best way to learn that is to have a no-pressure consultation with one of those Pella experts. Let them walk through the entire product line. Let, let them talk to you about the installation options, financing options if need be. Now, listen, this is not a pressure situation, whether you have it in person with them at their experience center there in Duluth or coming to your home. They'll be happy to do that. 
you may even want to do this online virtually they're able to do that for you there as well no matter which mechanism or i guess medium yeah which which medium you choose to have that meeting you should know it's not going to be a pressure situation they sent you they, they simply want to educate you because what they believe is, is once you know what they're all about you'll make the right choice which is to choose palo windows and doors there for your home there as well especially when you take advantage of the great savings that exist right now because between now and september 30th you can get 10 percent off your entire project or no payments no interest for 12 months it's just one of the reasons why palo window and door of georgia is viewed to be the best so here's what you can do i want you to go by and see them experience center right there in duluth they'll take good care of you or you can give them a call 678 678- 638-1429. That's 678-638-1429. Uh, or find them online, PellaofGA.com slash DogNation. That's PellaofGA.com slash DogNation. But whichever way you you know choose to connect with them, just make sure you tell them the BA from Dog Nation Daily so they take good care of you because I know that they will. Now, speaking of taking good care of us, John Stinchcomb certainly does that each and every Monday when he joins us. And he's going to join us here in a few minutes talking about everything as it relates to Georgia football. But prior, and what, by the way, one of the questions I'm going to ask John as a Gwinnett County resident for a long time, and one of the back in a moment in which Gwinnett County guys actually went to Georgia. How come so much of that's changed over the years and how come that's proven to be such a tough pull? I'm going to ask John Stinchcomb about that directly after K.J. Bolden became the latest Gwinnett five-star prospect to choose somewhere other than Georgia on Saturday. We'll have that conversation here coming up in a moment. Prior to that, though, I'm going to go around the doghouse and listen, to step away from Georgia recruiting here for a moment, one of the topics that has been pretty fun i think over the course of this summer because ultimately we don't get that mad about stuff like this we just like having something to rail against it's kind of one of those things we sort of do the arguing back and forth that's kind of like college football is a sport but college football fans their version of the sport is sometimes to sort of argue about stuff we just like doing that and so fodder for arguments is always probably welcome i would say and one of the things that has been good fodder for fun arguments for us this off season is the rise so-called rise anyway of mighty Michigan we've taken to calling them because despite the fact that Michigan lost last year to a team that Georgia beat 65 to 7 there's this viewpoint out there that somehow Michigan is ready to overtake Georgia's college football's top team we've talked about Reese Davis believing this we've talked about national writers who've made their case for this and now you've got radio host and I guess tv talking head Colin Cowherd who is saying a similar thing now Cowherd's of course not everybody's cup of tea but if you want to get an idea of just how prominent some of this Michigan chatter is here around the doghouse on Dog Nation Daily presented by Pella Window and Door of Georgia let me let you hear the next iteration of this it comes from Colin Cowherd now you're also going to hear Joel Klatt the analyst from Fox Sports he does his best to defend UGA here and I think he makes some decent points Cowherd though way out there on a subject that a lot of folks seemingly are way out there on these days this is from fs1 just the other day well they're better than georgia this year well that's well that's a whole other topic jj mccarthy is going to go late first round they're better because of that quarterback uh it's hard hard to say that colin georgia Mm -hmm. is the preeminent program in our sport right now they have overtaken alabama at that clip you think they're going to win three straight titles i didn't say i thought now you're just putting words in my mouth i didn't say they were going to win three titles two show suspension for you for that oh well that was misleading you're you're leading the witness (laughs) georgia is the preeminent program in our sport currently uh they are obviously back-to-back national champions and and they are doing it with a blueprint that doesn't require them to have a great player at quarterback now bennett played really well at times got himself to uh, new york as a heisman trophy finalist but at no point do i feel like oh boy that's a quarterback centric program 
No, but they're a roster-centric program. Yeah, but Stetson Bennett made a lot of big throws. That's fine, and he did make those big throws to guys like Brock Bowers, who are still there. And and Bowers is is one of, if not the best player in in college football, along with Marvin Harrison Jr. Probably the best tight end prop. So listen, I realize that some of y'all hate Colin Coward. I totally understand that. I actually don't. I think some of that kind of sports talky stuff is re- really pretty fun. I guess I do that for a living, so it would stand to reason that I might like some of that more than y'all do. But this particular clip, I think, is a perfect example of a somewhat logical UGA take in the historic, in the sort of hysterical non-UGA stuff. It's dominated much of the chatter over the course of the offseason. Let me listen to the couple of things that Cowherd says there. On the one hand, Georgia can't win because it doesn't have Stetson Bennett anymore. And yet we've said over and over again, how many blowhards such as Colin Cowherd over the course of the last couple of years would have told us that Georgia can't win because it has Stetson Bennett. Once again, we're left to hear someone who says now Georgia can't win because it no longer has Stetson Bennett. That's obviously laughable. And for Georgia fans who've kind of endured some of the Bennett criticism that's been ongoing the last couple of years, that's especially laughable for them. The notion that J.J. McCarthy, the Michigan quarterback, who I don't hate, I think he's a decent player, but the idea that he's going to slip into the back half of the first round, all of a sudden that's going to be enough for Michigan to overtake Georgia. Once again, that's patently absurd. Look at the quarterbacks that Georgia's beaten in recent years. Anthony Richardson was the darling of the draft this past April. Didn't even come close to beating Georgia while he was at Florida. Uh, Bryce Young was the number one overall pick, but they lost 33-18 in the national championship game two years ago. On and on you could go here of you know the idea that, well, I've got a quarterback who's going to be selected near the back half of the uh, first round. All of a sudden, that's enough to close the talent gap with Georgia. Like You are really reaching if that's what you're going to do. And that's why Georgia fans, I think, have noticed some of this praise for or mighty Michigan or whatever else, the extent to which that some blowhard talking head analyst types will just literally bend over backwards or contort themselves into a pretzel in order to make the case for someone other than UGA. And by the way, Joel Klatt, who at one point in time would have probably been a guy we would have criticized in a show like this, I guess in the land of the blind, the one-eyed man truly is king because all of a sudden, Clatt making more sense than half the people out there right now, even though he works for Fox, which is supposed to be the anti-SEC network. Like, what in the world is the world coming to with stuff like this? But if you want to know, more logs in the fire, more fuel to the fire, if you will, for the idea that a mighty Michigan team might be ready to overtake Georgia here this year. And that is around the doghouse. And before I bring on John Stinchcomb, let me also quickly remind you for the last several weeks, we've been inviting your nominations for Outstanding Teachers. We want to celebrate those courtesy of Kroger. So today, we want to announce our first Outstanding Teacher winner and also the nominator. Let me make sure I use the right nomenclature here. The nominator who also walks away with the prize himself. Today's winner is Ken Loach. Now, Ken was nominated by his son, Andrew Loach. Now, I want to read here a little bit. The picture you're going to see on your screen is from them together there at the Georgia-Florida game in 2017. Obviously, you know we love Gator Hater around here now you should also know i have no influence on making this pick so uh clearly this was objectively drawn as according to the rules but nonetheless we are very happy when a pair of gator haters like this win our first prize here uh stomped them 42 to 7 uh, andrew reminds us and he says my dad ken loach has been teaching for over 35 years he's a georgia alumnus and a diehard dog fan and he's dedicated his life to teaching high and high school and middle school age students currently teaching abroad in kuwait how about that isn't that amazing teaching in kuwait but still wakes up 
up at 3 a.m. to watch every Georgia game. What an amazing thing. Uh, Andrew, thanks for nominating your father, Ken. And Ken, you get a great collection of gift cards coming your way. And Andrew, you also get a great price back, courtesy of our friends at Kroger, coming your way there as well. We appreciate Kroger helping us and allowing us to celebrate outstanding teachers on our program here today. Now, with all that said, I don't want to keep him waiting any longer. Time for a Marlowe's Tavern Insider Update as we bring on John Stinchcomb. And I'm always thankful to get John's analysis, of course, on a day like this. Thankful to have him joining us a little bit differently than he normally does because I'm on remote broadcast here for the uh, Dave Hunter Corky Kale Classic kickoff luncheon. John, welcome to the program. And if you don't mind, I want to use your background as a way of having a conversation here off the top. Eventually, we'll get to some of the other stuff. But obviously, you're a former elite recruit who chose Georgia coming out of a Parkview program. By the way, Parkview will be represented here today at the Corky Kale Dave Hunter Classic kickoff luncheon. And back then, when you left Gwinnett County as one of the top prospects in the nation to come to Georgia, frankly, that didn't seem like that big of a deal. And yet now it has turned into a very big deal because we see Georgia kind of strike out over and over and over again when it comes to five-star prospects from Gwinnett County, be they from Buford or other places, including one from your alma mater Parkview here this year. What do you attribute that to? K.J. Bolden, the latest example of this, but there have certainly been plenty in recent years and, frankly, plenty over the course of the last decade plus. What's going on here, John, from your perspective? Hotbeds of high school football. You look at the talent that has come from there, and it speaks for itself. Just across the board, the number of guys that uh, matriculated through one of the schools in Gwinnett County, it's an impressive list. Um, and, and I think Georgia has done – serviceably over the years in Gwinnett County. It's uh, There's a list of Buford guys in particular that have chosen to go to Georgia. When you miss out on a guy like K.J. Bolden, at least with the commitment, um, there's some sting to it. There's bite. I, I know in, in recent years, Grayson is another school where they've had some elite talent that somehow has slipped away from the University of Georgia. But yet, Georgia is a national recruiter. So you look at the success on a national level um, and it, it is rivals anyone across the country in recruiting. Uh, but yet there's still some in our backyard, 45 minutes away from Athens that uh, seem to be choosing other places. And I think that might be part of the equation is there's some familiarity there, uh, but yet they want to go out and make a name for themselves elsewhere. And, and it's case by case. I think, uh, that, that same argument crumbles when you look at other talent that's close to Athens and has chosen to become Bulldogs. So, you know, for KJ, he looked at it and, and sees an opportunity to help build a program rather than sustain a program. And that was more uh, enticing for him. And I think that's what you have to do right now is look at it case by case. So I want to be fair and balanced on a couple of things here, too. And you bring up a really good point that ultimately this is not an issue about it harming Georgia recruiting, because the best we can tell, Georgia's not harmed by this at all because they have become the preeminent force in national recruiting. And clearly no one's recruiting better than Georgia is, whether those players are coming from in-state or across the country. So this isn't an issue that's impacting Georgia right now. But, John, I do f- – at least foresee a possibility where, hey, you know, one of these days you may not quite be the flavor of the month, whether that be 10 years from now, 20 years from now, whenever it's going to occur. You know, one of these days you may need your backyard again. So establishing some roots here now so that when you really when your brand may not be quite as shiny nationally as it is the moment, 
you know, it seems like that kind of makes some sense, right? Of, hey, you know, the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. So, you know, if you want to be able to win these kind of recruiting battles in the future, doing something to plant those roots right now, whatever that might be, that seems like kind of a wise gesture in my mind. Yeah, and it is. And I would say this. I don't think that Georgia is neglecting the metro Atlanta area, Gwinnett County specifically. I, I've talked to a number of coaches, and they have good relations uh, with the staff in Athens, whoever that uh, particular person might be. So I don't think it's a matter of neglect. Uh, but I do think that Georgia is able to look on a national level. And why this is uh, the discussion point for a Monday morning is you've got a five-star player where Georgia's in that top three in his list, but yet doesn't finish at that number one spot. And you're going, golly, we can't afford – in lean years to let something like this happen. Um, and I would say this, B.A., we're going to have to cross that bridge when we get there. I, I, I can't um, critique too heavily the, the job that the, yeah. the staff in Athens has done at recruiting because they continually, on a national scale, rank in that top three. And you're going to miss out on some players. It just has more bite when it's a name that, as a Georgia guy, not just University of Georgia fan – we all know, and, and you want to keep some of your homegrown talent uh, in-house. What about the other angles on this? I'm led to believe two things are true here today, John, that if people have been on message boards and social media and they've heard rumors of exorbitant offers uh, or a specific exorbitant offer from Florida State to K.J. Bolden, I'm led to believe that some of the crazy figures that are being thrown around on that are likely true, that the number really is as high as maybe you've heard that it is. And what do we make of Georgia in that landscape? The other thing I'm led to believe is true is that Georgia's not by any means waving the white flag on the K.J. Jay Bolden recruitment, they're still going to be a factor in this. They believe Bolden to be a very good player, and they believe their program to be a very formidable offer, even in the wake of the kinds of big dollars you hear being thrown around here. What do you make of the current landscape where there are programs seemingly who are willing to make NIL offers at a level that Georgia's perhaps not comfortable with, and yet Georgia's still going to try to remain competitive in those recruitments because of all the things that it can offer, including to its own NIL packages. What do you make of, I guess, the way in which the K.J. Bolden decision on Saturday shines a light on exactly what high school football and college recruiting is right now? Oh, it's a changing landscape, isn't it? It's, the NIL is most certainly a factor. We have to recognize that players are going to look at their opportunities, not just on the field, but off. If you have an opportunity to close in on seven figures as an 18-year-old, who am I to say that uh, you, you should bypass those types of opportunities uh, to go to a particular school? Now, with that said, what, what I've seen, what I've heard, haven't talking to or spoken with some of the folks at uh, the Capital City Collective included, is that there are uh, other programs that are offering high school recruits, highly outed high school recruits, some insane numbers, but yet they're still willing to choose Georgia, not at, at, at a huge discount, but at a discount because of Coach Smart, because of what they can receive on the football field, in the practice field, uh, in, in the, the team rooms, because of what Georgia is able to do. It is still one of the top recruiters for any kid. You just can't bypass the fact that these opportunities to make 
what uh, most adults would say is, you know, some really, really good uh, money and these opportunities that come through NIL, um, it makes sense that that is part of the equation as guys are weighing their options. I'd also say this. In years past, a commitment was uh, just that. It's, it's tentative uh, until you put pen to paper. Uh, the, it's not a sealed deal. And even more so now, I think what we've seen, uh, even with some recruits, uh, well, uh, transfers that Georgia received, it's guys that Georgia recruited coming out of high school. We got them. It just was a year later after they went to another program. So in this landscape, the way college football is now, they're never done. It's the, the process is never complete. You're constantly recruiting uh, well past the, the commitment uh, videos that you see, even past the uh, signing days. And there are still opportunities to, to get some of these players that uh, are, are taking advantage of what college football offers, and that's the transfer portal. Georgia also got some good news in recruiting. John, I want to talk to you about that here coming up in a moment, too. Let me remind folks, though, this is our Marlowe's Tavern Insider Update with John Stinchcomb. And I also want to make sure that folks know that Marlowe's Tavern's got some really fun things going on right now for happy hour. The tavern there in your neighborhood, every weekday from 4 to 6 p.m., doing some wonderful things around happy hour. What a fun thing to do. You know, you get off work, have a busy day, you want to unwind before going home. The Marlowe's Tavern happy hour opportunity gives you a great chance to do that. And if you know Marlowe's Tavern, the one thing you know is – if they're hosting happy hour, they're going to have some tremendous drink specials and some really fun menu items to go along with that there, too. So, in fact, let me give you a couple of those here right now that you can enjoy at the tavern right there in your neighborhood every afternoon from 4 to 6 p.m. How about the uh, really fun new Marlowe's Tropical Blue? This is a great cocktail. It's a combination of bare bones vodka, sweet pineapple juice, blue curacao, savory coconut puree, puree, easy for me to say, I guess, uh, and some lime uh, juice. And it's going to make you feel like you're at the beach, which if you know me, you know I always love that. Also, some wonderful menu items there as well talking about the crispy kettle chips the firecracker deviled eggs and so much more the tavern right there in your neighborhood's got some fun things going on every weekday that means today from 4 to 6 p.m so check that out marlo's tavern really redefining what it means to enjoy happy hours so stop by a marlo's tavern near you and enjoy that here today so john on the good news front georgia picked up nate Frey. One of three top 10 backs, class of 2024, now in, uh, involved in this recruiting class here for Georgia. And to me, Georgia needed numbers in this class because they're set to lose some guys. But I think it also probably needed a little bit of an athletic upgrade for this position. Dwight Phillips, one of the guys from Georgia on his way to UGA, he provides that, I believe. Uh, Chauncey Bowen's the recent flip from Florida may as well. But Nate Frazier certainly does. Certainly does. Some outlets even have missed the number one running back in the entire class. Uh, this is a very big-time get for UGA. And as successful a class for Del McGee in particular in quite some time. McGee's got reason to smile today because I think that Nate Frazier is an outstanding prospect how much fun is it for you to see georgia kind of staying rbu here with bringing in a trio of backs like this well it recruits itself you look at the system that georgia runs the success our running backs have had over the years and you're able to draw national talent and again georgia does it and in the same weekend where you lose out on an opportunity for an in-state buford talent you go out and for the next class you continue to, to keep a position of need filled with some high-level quality players. And that's in addition to some other recruits. You just named 
two of them that, that are committed in that class. Um, and I expect that to continue to be the case. Georgia will uh, continue to deploy more than one running back. And so you don't have quite the, the wear on the tires that you get in other places. And that's proven to be a good recipe to not only highlight uh, individual talent, but also prepare them and also re- leave them some some tread on the tires when they get to the NFL, which every recruiter is wanting. You look at what's happening at the NFL level, and they're going, man, we have to pull, pull our uh, abilities together to even negotiate because we're not getting our due. But yet Georgia has, continues to be that place where if you're one of these running backs uh, that wants to be on a national level, that wants to be seen by these NFL recruiters and uh, these coaches, then it continues to be that top landing spot. And and we justify why we're known as RBU. So you're bringing up a really important point, and it's something I've actually wanted to bring up on the show now for a couple of weeks. We just haven't had time to do it. There is a striking difference between the NFL and college football in one particular area. As you said, there's been a lot of chatter around the NFL about how lowly paid running backs are. Now, John, you and I grew up in an era in which running back was sort of the glamour position. The big man on every campus was kind of the best high school running back. That was the, you know, kind of the stud athlete. And running backs have always had that prestige and cachet because of that. In the NFL right now, that does not appear to be the case. But if that's become less true in the NFL – I believe that's no less true in college football than it ever was. Big difference here. The NFL has a hard salary cap, and you have to make very tough decisions about how you allocate those dollars. And for whatever reason, uh, the running back spot has been on the short you know, change on that because of the fact that I think that teams feel like they can replace their running back with cheaper options and still get production. But in college, there is no salary cap present that you can have the best player at every position if possible. And a great college running back to me is just as valuable as it ever was, even in a day and age in which we're throwing the ball far more than we ever have. There is no salary cap in college football, at least theoretically. Some teams have an NIL budget, but there's no salary cap that prohibits you from going above that. So I don't think fans do this by and large, but they certainly shouldn't assume that just because we see a lower diminished value put on running backs at the NFL level, that diminished value is perceived to exist around college running backs because it is not. Great teams have great backs. I believe Nate Frazier can be a great back for George in the future. Yeah, I think there's two things specifically that running backs are trying to look for. It's number of touches and how am I, I going to be used in the system. And the way Georgia has been able to spread the ball around, highlight guys in different games, and then deploy them in a variety of ways of of catching balls out of the backfield. You look at the years where, you know, we had Nick Chubb and Sonny Michelle, and more recently with uh, Holyfield and Cook and, uh, I mean, just Gurley, go back to those days, the way Georgia uses their running backs, the way that as the game has evolved and we've spread the ball around to receivers and tight ends and uh, the various positions and, and ways that Georgia has created opportunities for each one of these guys, it has not come at the expense of needing, utilizing, and highlighting Georgia's running backs. They have been able to get their touches and uh, steal games away and salt games away late uh, and be featured throughout and and deployed in a variety of ways. And if anything, as we were being critical 
early early on in last season, it's, you know, can we get those big breakout hits coming from the run game? And we started seeing more of those as the season played out. So, uh, again, it's a huge draw for high school running backs to say, I can get my touches. They can use me in a variety of ways. I am going to be highlighted for my skill set, what I bring to the table, and I can be complimented by the the rest of the suit of backs that Georgia continues to recruit and and harbor. So, you know, for a, a guy who brings a different skill set, uh, for guys that we have in house, uh, you know, whether it's uh, Branson or uh, Dejan, the way they attack the game is different and the way that they bring their skill set to the backfield and the way that now coach Bobo and the offensive coordinator at the offensive coordinator seat, along with the rest of the coaches, the way they can use these guys, it, it highlights them and in, in what they do best. And I think for any player, that's what you want to look for. And it continues to be a draw for these recruits. John, I have kept you long. I want to be respectful for your time, and I did not clear this with you before we went on the air here, but could I keep you a minute or two longer because there's another topic that I want to get into, and I think that your perspective might have some value. Do you have a couple of minutes you can stick with us here for a moment? Absolutely. As, as good as you look, BA, I'm not right, leaving so I to <laughs> now, you'll also remember, I believe it was this time a year ago, wasn't it at the Dave Hunter Corky Kell Classic Luncheon a year ago that we lost our signal and you ended up having to take over the show without me? Wasn't that this time a year ago? Yeah, as you're floating across the uh, parking lot, I'm just babbling. And those poor fans yeah. were like, I can't wait for BA to be back. Yeah, thanks for bringing that up. Appreciate that. Well, no, I, listen, now you, you helped me out big time that day, so I'm just saying stand by in case that were to happen again. I actually don't think it's going to happen today, but stand by nonetheless. I want to transition here to cruise around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean, and I'll just say this really quickly. If you go to royaldogs.com, you can find out details about our Dog Nation cruise in April of 2024 on board Allure of the Seas. Uh, you talk about a wonderful Oasis-class ship. Dog Nation cruise getting bigger and better than ever in April of 2024. Jessica Slater can tell you all about that. She's got her website put together, royaldogs.com. Find out about the Dog Nation cruise and all the cool stuff happening with the Royal Caribbean, royaldogs.com for more on that. All right, so John, here is why I wanted to have you stick with us because I have said something that not every Georgia fan agrees with and I have a respect for fans when they have a different opinion than mine. So I want you to kind of be a stand-in for maybe the voice of opposition here for a moment because I do feel strongly about this and I want to sort of represent all perspectives in this discussion. As we turn to the other big issue that's kind of in college athletics here right now, the aggressive expansion by the Big Ten, the shrewd maneuvering the Big 12 to survive and what looks like a dismantling of the Pac-12, I think that Greg Sankey may have made an error here over the course of the last few years. And as someone who's an SEC homer and believes this is the best overall league, I think he made, made a tactical mistake. And I hope that something can be done now to kind of respond to this. Let me explain what I mean here. If you look at like what the SEC's value proposition is, it's the slogan, it just means more. But there's a little bit of a subtext buried into that. In order for the SEC to mean more, it has to have other conferences to compare itself to. In a world of regional conferences, the SEC has always had the claim to fame of, our fans are the most passionate. But when you go out and grab a Texas and Oklahoma, 
all of a sudden at that point in time, it sort of seems like you're getting away from what has been, uh, hey, we're here in the Southeast. We may not have as many living alumni as the Big Ten. Our states may not be as populous as the Big Ten. They may have a slightly larger TV deal. And I think a lot of SEC fans may not realize this, but the Big Ten teams already make more per year than the SEC does because it's just a bigger league. It has a bigger TV deal now. It's about to get even bigger in the future, even with Texas and Oklahoma and the SEC. But that's not the SEC's value proposition. It's we have the most passionate fans. We have the best players. But in the chess game of college football supremacy, when the SEC went out and took Texas and Oklahoma, it opened the door for the Big Ten to do out west what it had already done on the Atlantic coast, which is reach all the way across the country, grab more teams. And now the Big Ten looks like it's the first true national league. And I'm not quite so sure how the SEC is supposed to respond to that. I wouldn't have wanted USC and UCLA and the SEC, but frankly, I didn't want Texas and Oklahoma either. And I think, John, the SEC was in a better position comparatively before it added Texas and Oklahoma, and now the league is actually weaker in position to the Big Ten after making this move, and that concerns me about the future of the SEC. That's the opinion that I've expressed. Some Georgia fans don't agree with that. I'm going to give you a chance to respond. Yeah, I I get it. I think Big Ten's doing what they can to survive. And what they don't have is they don't have Georgia. They don't have Alabama. They don't have LSU. They don't have that elite school, annual basis, national title contender the way the SEC does. They also don't have – they did not have the depth throughout the conference that the SEC did. What they've done is try to address that. you know, you look at it and the the power five that was is no longer uh, the dismantling of an entire conference, whether you, you like it, you hate it, whether it's sad to see it is what it is. There is no uh, Pacific conference that even is representative of what the shell of what it used to be. So the Big Ten, I think, has done an admirable job of trying to stay relevant. They recognize I think that the SEC has become the dominant conference, has been for a long time, and continues to be. I like the addition of Texas and Oklahoma. It extends the brand in ways that uh, only adds value. And, you know, it, it always comes back to dollars and cents, right? And you look at the value add, I think that is even more than what you can get from uh you know, the West Coast teams. I understand the market that USC and UCLA brought. I understand uh, Oregon and Washington. I don't think that they have the college football prowess that uh, Texas and Oklahoma bring to the SEC. Uh, And you're looking at two power conferences. I still think there's more shoes to drop. We said that years ago um, when – Texas and Oklahoma were even considering it coming a part of the SEC, and there's still more shuffling to be done. I, I, you look at what's happening in the ACC, and I think that as a conference, they've done a good job of trying to lock their teams in, but you see FSU trying to comb through every word of the contract that they're uh, being held to, uh, um, trying to find ways to, to wiggle out if possible, and they're not alone. Because you're looking at a two-conference system as compared to a five-conference system of what we used to have. And that's, you know, if quite honestly, you put NIL, you put transfer portal into this picture, 
and it's the SEC, the Big Ten's trying to stay relevant. I don't think that they're the threat that you might see them as. I still think the SEC is the dominant force and continues to project to be that way because of their elite programs and the draw of, of highly talented players in their areas and then national draw. So uh, SEC will remain dominant. I, I you know, is Big Ten a, a threat? Yeah, they, they will continue to be. But the addition of their schools doesn't add enough value to, to compare to what the SEC currently has and what they add with the two teams that they brought on board. So let's do one more back and forth in this, then I'll let you go. Like, my overall concern is, as I said before, the SEC's value proposition is best players, better teams, more passionate fans. The Big Ten's value proposition is we just rake in dollars, right? I mean, they're about to have the big noon kickoff, the CBS 330 game, NBC uh, on primetime, and they're going to have the late window. And that's what these Pac-12, formerly Pac-12 teams, really for, is to give the Big Ten that sort of piece of real estate, like later than 9 p.m. Eastern time, another television window they get a chance to own. They already pay out, I believe, about $8 million more per team than the SEC does. Like, how much of a financial gap can be allowed to grow before finally the dollars that the Big Ten's raking in starts to matter. Because the thing that sort of precipitated all of this conference realignment has been the financial gap between the SEC, Big Ten, and the other leagues. Well, how much bigger can the Big Ten's financial gap with the SEC get before it also starts to matter as well? Especially in a future world where if the ACC teams ever become available, listen, I don't know that the SEC gets more lucrative by adding those ACC teams, but the Big Ten certainly could because it would give them an arm down south, which they don't currently have. And the big issue on down the road is, is that when players eventually start getting paid, maybe NIL dollars from the TV contracts, the Big Ten may just have more of that to pay because their overall TV deal is bigger now and stands to be bigger in the future because of how far the Big Ten's reach is. That's my concern here. Not the fact that the, that the SEC doesn't currently have the better teams and the overall, I think, better product, but it's the financial advantage the Big Ten has that I think looks to be growing in the future. At some point in time, they could leverage those dollars to their benefit. Yeah, it's a valid point, and I think what they've done in getting West Coast teams is added a new time zone. If you look at, you know, you want to be able to draw fans in, have national games on TV that people are watching, and to have, you know, four of the best teams on the West Coast join your conference, that is a factor. It is a valid point to look at the dollars that uh, media brings in not just tv deals but with streaming options and all the stuff that is modern and and new to all of us it's a factor so i I do think it's something the sec monitors needs to monitor be aware of you know what is the separation because eight million dollars a year in tv deals okay we've got good donors i mean uh, the addition of those uh, texas and oklahoma specifically there's a lot of, of support for their programs that uh, adds value, just overall financial value uh, across the landscape. But uh, I think it's something the SEC needs to be aware of as you look at TV contracts. I don't know when ours is up, but uh, it, it is a factor, and I think it's a valid point. So for all your, your haters out there or naysayers, uh, BA, I, I hear you, man. I think it's a valid point. I think, you know, I, you caveat it with 
the SEC, the product that exists right now is superior. The fan base superior. Uh, the the product, the the actual teams that are going out there superior. All those things are factual. Recognizing the threat of a TV deal, yeah, that's just a, a, a smart recognition. And then just very, very quickly here, perhaps this was never possible, but if the SEC being a good partner in, like, say, the college football playoff, because that's the one way that all these leagues have tried to work together, you know, the thing that got a lot of folks mad at the SEC, you know, a couple of years ago was, is they worked on formulating the new 12-team playoff and then kind of behind the back of Bob Bowlesby, the old Big 12 commissioner, yanked Texas and Oklahoma. That if the SEC could have been a good partner with the Big 12 and the Pac-12, and maybe even the ACC there as well, that ultimately the best thing for the SEC I believe may have been a strong Big 12 and a strong Pac-12 and a strong ACC. In fact, Greg Sankey said certain things to this effect in the past that as long as we've got five regional leagues and they're all, you know, thriving and surviving, the SEC is the best position because they are the best of the regional leagues because it is the most passionate fans and it's the best overall quality of football. But once you start competing with this sort of imperialistic behemoth that's willing to go East Coast and West Coast, now you're competing with a sort of a different entity and you run the risk of allowing them to dictate the new terms of future competitions. Okay, fair. What would you recommend the SEC do differently? I mean, now that it is what it is, I think the Big Ten responded to what the SEC did by adding Texas and Oklahoma and says, we've got to do something. We have to recognize that we're that second conference in the ranking, and we need to respond to the fact that the, the, the elephant in the room just grew bigger substantially really if you look at mm-hmm. fan base and tradition and uh two quality teams that are added to the sec different might i uh, probably offend some folks than when we added uh missouri wasn't a huge deal texas sure. a.m i get that uh just from a fan base and and just their marketability but texas and oklahoma that's a big deal so big 10 looks at it and says well, we got to do something and what they've done I think is is position their conference to be competitive. Now, as as we're debating this, what would you recommend, or what would at the SEC to do differently in the past, or what would they do different moving forward? What what should they do, BA? If you're if you're going to bring this into the uh, put it on the table for discussion. Yeah. So here's the problem. I don't really know what the future move could be. The only thing I would say is if you could go back to the past and having not taken Texas and Oklahoma, I think the SEC would have been wise to have done that. And, and that's not something that everybody's going to agree with. But I think, I think this league was in a stronger position comparatively before it reached to grab Texas and Oklahoma because it looks like that move incentivized the Big Ten to kind of start playing, as I said on Twitter, hungry, hungry hippos, just sort of grabbing everything they could. And I think, I think the SEC was stronger, comparatively speaking, before you brought in Texas and Oklahoma to this league. I don't believe you can go back and put the toothpaste in the tube on that now, but I do believe the SEC was in a better position prior to that okay and and that very well could be the case with that said if if i'm in a fight and i know i'm about to be in a fight i'm not the guy who wants to take the first punch i want to throw it (laughs) and and i i think very realistically across the conferences you look and say this isn't a sustainable model right now there is too much uh discrepancies across the haves and the have-nots and teams are going to want to be a part of conferences that offer a bright future 
And if I'm Texas and Oklahoma and I'm going, maybe I want to consider my options, I think it would have been naive for the SEC to just sit back and wait for that first shoe to drop. And instead, I think they were more proactive. I can't fault them for that. I think for all of us, you look across the, the, the Power Five conferences and you go, something is going to change. So, you know, again, with that analogy, I'm, it, was, it was a big swing and you see a counterpunch coming. But you, if you know you're going to walk into a fight, I'd much rather be the one that, that gets that first cut, gets your, your choice to try to build your brand in a meaningful way. And I think the SEC did a pretty admirable job, if you look at it from that perspective, knowing that change is going to come. Let's be on the front end of it. Take two really good teams that have a value add and add to our, our brand in a way that's uh, that's productive and not be reactive and wait for you know other conferences to, to make some moves. John, I think it's a really wise point. I'm sure plenty of people agree with your point of view. That's why I'm glad we had a chance to have this conversation. Thanks for staying as long as I believe you ever stayed before, but I wanted to give you a chance to kind of express some of the issues that I've certainly heard from plenty of UGA fans. So thanks for – and SEC fans too. So thanks for all of that, and we'll look forward to doing this again with you very soon, uh, not just on this uh, SEC through here uh, presented by Royal Cribbon, but also in our Marlowe's Tavern uh, insider update there as well. John, we'll look forward to talking to you soon. Hey, I always enjoy it. Hopefully uh, some of my comments are as, as sharp and as uh, attractive as what you've got. Look at you tied up. I got my beard and T-shirt on. I, I didn't know the dress code for today, B.A. You, you surprised me with that one. That's right. Appreciate it's, you having me on. It's, t- it's totally changed. That's right. I appreciate it, John. Good stuff there. Yeah, totally different dress code for me today than per usual. And I'm glad that John was able to be a part of that with us because, look, my thing on this is, is like while I am sort of a blowhard who has, happens to have the microphone in my hand, I've never wanted my perspective to be the only one that's shared on this show. And I do think these are complicated topics. Frankly, they're probably more complicated than some fans want to fully dive into. Nonetheless, they are complicated topics and kind of trying to figure out, you know, kind of what's good for Georgia, what's good for the SEC. Because the one thing we're all in agreement on, I believe, is is that while we may differ on what's good, we do think that what's good for Georgia and the SEC is what's best for college football because this has been the standard bearer in the sport. We want to make sure that remains true in the future. So fun conversation with John Stinchcomb there on that. As we get ready to wrap up here, a couple of things to remind you of. First of all, Dr. Pepper strawberries and cream. And I got to tell you, uh, I dressed up today, get the sun kind of beating through the windows here. If you look close enough, you'll see kind of a little bit of sweat beating down my head. I could use a little beverage, kind of get a little bit, a little bit of a pick-me-up. And this time of day, that's typically when I'm sort of reaching for Dr. Pepper anyway. And when you're reaching for your own Dr. Pepper, I want you to consider reaching for the brand new Dr. Pepper Strawberries and Cream or Dr. Pepper Strawberries and Cream Zero Sugar. It's a brand new permanent flavor offering from Dr. Pepper. If you're doing your shopping there at Kroger or whatever you're getting your groceries, you can get some Dr. Pepper strawberries and cream. Now, college football time of year, we're sort of always thinking about Dr. Pepper. Now, if you're like me, you're kind of always thinking about Dr. Pepper anyway. But this time of year, you know, Dr. Pepper's just had such a large presence in our college football minds for as many decades as you want to go back here. Well, that is also going to be a big part of your fall there as well with the brand new Dr. Pepper strawberries and cream and Dr. Pepper strawberries and cream zero sugar. Because try it. I think you're going to like it. And the next time I bring it up, you're like, you know what, BA said that was good. And it truly was. So try yourself some Dr. Pepper strawberries and cream and Dr. Pepper strawberries and cream zero sugar. All right, we'll get ready to wrap up here as I get ready to go inside the uh, luncheon here for the Dave Hunter Corky Kell Classic kickoff here today. And we'll do so the way we typically do. First of all, Golden Shoe, our buddy Mad Dog sent this in. A lot of UJ recruiting talk off the top of the show 
And of course, uh, whether Georgia gets a KJ Bolden eventually or not, this is still likely to be the number one recruiting class in the country when it's all said and done. Obviously, as Mad Dog shows you there with our golden shoe for today, Kirby Smart's still sleeping just fine, thinking about all that. Dog's still on top, both in recruiting and on the field. We don't expect that to change anytime soon. So we'll give Mad Dog a golden shoe for reminding us all about that and also remind you lousy stinking gators our gator header countdown dogs back in jacksville 82 days from right now looking to get a win against florida not just looking to get one we think they're going to find it beating florida once again that's our gator hater countdown hope you all have a great day we'll be back to normal in our studio and everything else tomorrow for dog nation daily presented by palo window indoor of georgia we'll look forward to talking to you then